All right, here we go. So we are going to do the fourth message here this morning in our Out with the Old, In with the New series. Next week, uh, in this Out with the Old series, we've been talking about uh, the new creation life and what it looks like. And so next week, we're going to look at a Christ-centered family. And in Colossians, it's kind of like an abbreviated uh, section from Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians as well as Colossians, talks in detail in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives and their roles and responsibilities. Well, in Colossians, he was, I guess, maybe tired or didn't have a, a, a lot of time, and he went and kind of wrote short sentences about marriage and family. So next week, we're going to talk about marriage and family. We're going to talk about husbands and wives and children. And, and what does a Christ-centered family look like? As believers, what does it look like uh, in our home? What should it look like as we are following Christ? So this morning, we are going to look at Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. And I'm titling this message, Home Sweet Home. Home Sweet Home. So have you ever taken an extended trip away from the house? If you haven't, I'm sorry. I think you need to. <laughs> Maybe not right now. Maybe not a good idea now. But at some point, get away. Go to a park somewhere. Do something. Get away from the home, right? But I've gone extended times away from the home. I remember I've gone on several mission trips here at Living Word Church, and we've been to Albania a couple of times, and I've been with, me and Joel went to Albania. And to get to Albania, you know, it's, by the time you leave, because Clyde and Teresa, they, they book the earliest flights possible because it's cheap, so you're getting up at one in the morning to go on a mission trip. And uh, from the time you wake up to go on the trip to the time you get to Europe, which is where Albania is, it's 24 hours, basically, you've been awake. And, and so, you know, we, we get through the trip, and you're in another country, and you're eating food you're not used to, and you're, the, the room's not like your room, the bed's not like your bed, the shower's not like your shower, and, and everything's different. But you know what happens when you come back? I always remember every trip I've gone on a mission trip, and that plane lands in the United States of America. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. I mean, just walking, I sometimes we'll land in Houston from, from those trips. We, we get in Houston, and it's just like, this is my country. I love being home. And, and not that I don't love being in Albania, but that, you know, that, that's not my home. God hasn't called me there. I go to minister there, and then we'll come back. Or maybe you, you do that on vacation. You're gone. You're on vacation. You come back. And what do you do when you, when you say, when you walk through the door of your house? Sometimes you may say this statement, home, sweet home. Oh, it's good to be home. You just, you can relax and you have your bed again. We went on vacation in Pennsylvania and we, it's a, most houses in Pennsylvania have basements. So we're in the basement and, and the bed was a full-size bed, me, Estelle, and Lincoln in the middle in a full-size bed. Plus we're on the bottom floor. All we heard was feet all night long. Boom, 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 boom. So I tell you, when I got home, it was home sweet home. And this analogy about being at home, being at rest, just, I'm glad to be home. This is kind of the picture the Apostle Paul gives us in Colossians 3 when he talks about God's word. God's word must be at home in our hearts. That same feeling that you get when you come home from a long trip, that's what it must be like. That's how it must be with God's word. God's word must be at home in our hearts. What Paul brings out here in Colossians 3 is the foundation of every other aspect of our Christian life. The foundation of God's word impacts every area of our Christian life. And Paul uses this idea of the word of God dwelling in us. So let's stand, if you would, for the reading of God's word in honor of his word. And we'll look at the text here in Colossians 3. And then we're going to read it and explain it and apply it to your life here this morning. This is God speaking to you. 
Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with the thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, we thank you for your word here today and what it has the power to do in our life. And God, I pray that each one of us, that as we hear your word, that we would not only hear it, but that we would apply it, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, we are here and we are ready to listen and to receive. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So what do we see here in this text about the relationship between the believer and God's word? Again, let's not forget our context. Our context is the new creation life. What does it look like to be a Christian? It looks like we put to death the deeds of the flesh. It looks like we put on. Did you put on your new wardrobe this last week? What, what wardrobe were you supposed to put on this, this last week? Humility, patience, bearing with one another. All right, I got tested. I got tested and, 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 and I almost didn't have it on. I almost, I almost was uh, impatient. I went out to a store in town where we'll, we'll, we'll remain nameless and I went and picked up something and, and the person there, everyone's stressed out now. Everyone's so stressed. You can feel everyone's on edge. And she wasn't dressed properly, I tell you that much. <laughs> so when I got home, I told my wife about the story. She said, were you rude? I said, am I ever rude? <laughs> and so thankfully, I had, I had been dressed with patience that morning. So that's the Christian life, that we must put off the old, but put on the new. We must put on the attributes of Christ each and every day. That is the Christian life. And another aspect of the Christian life is our relationship to God's word. The Apostle Paul, as we just read here in Colossians 3, he says that the word of God must dwell in us richly. It must dwell in us richly. So this is the first thing when we're asking the question, what do we see about the relationship between the believer and God's word? It's this, is that the word of God must not simply be a passing visitor. How many of you have family members that you just hope that they pass through and not stay. <laughs> you have family members like that? No, you know, they don't have to, don't, don't mention it if it's the one next to you. But sometimes there's those family members that, that you, you invite them to come over and, and you're looking at the clock and, don't you have an appointment? I thought you said you, you were going somewhere. And, and you know, you, maybe we wouldn't say that, but we'd sure think it from time to time. That cannot be the type of relationship we have with God's word. It cannot be something that we say, okay, well, it's just, we're just, you know, it's, I just want you to pass through, and, and I'm just going to uh, visit you every now and then, once or twice per year on Christmas and Thanksgiving. No, the new creation life is a life that is marked by the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word richly actually means extravagantly. And if a, as a Christian, it, if the Word of God is going to dwell in us richly, that means that it, it must be at home in our hearts. If we're going to have an extravagant type rich relationship with God's word it means it must be at home every day of our life we must be marked by the word of God I think Lincoln uh, flushed my wedding ring down the toilet a few weeks back have you noticed I haven't had a wedding band on for the last couple months I mean I know some of you really pay attention to what I wear do y'all like my shoes sometimes y'all see my shoes this new pulpit y'all can't see my shoes unless you're over here that's a shame but I haven't had my ring either, if you've noticed. And you know, sometimes people will, if they lose their ring, they'll get a tattoo on their finger. 
to, you know, because they don't want to have to buy another ring and then lose it again. And it's a mark. I don't plan on getting a tattoo on my finger because I don't like pain. But that's the picture of what the word of God does. It's a mark. It must mark our life. It must be something that is permanently, a permanent fixture in our life. This is what it means that the word of God dwells in us richly. When Paul uses the phrase to dwell, it literally, literally is translated to be to be at home. Let the word of Christ be at home in your hearts. Let it dwell in your hearts richly. So if the word of God is like a passing visitor, this is your relationship to the word. If you treat it as a passing visitor, the word is secondary. It's optional. It's the last resort. How many times, if, if the word of God is like a passing visitor in your life, how many times do you get in your life and you're like, oh, I, I've got trouble, I've got difficulties. What does God's word say? You've tried, every, you've exhausted all the other means. Okay, then, then, then we'll go to God's word. That's a passing visitor type relationship with God's word. If God's word is at home in your life, the word is primary. It's non-negotiable, and it's the only option. It's primary, it's non-negotiable, and it's the only option. It, it impacts every area of our life. That is the Christian life. That is the Christian life. It, that's what the Christian life is. Indifference to Scripture is a mark of someone who is not in relationship with Christ. Indifference to Scripture is a mark of someone that might not be in relationship with Christ. If you're indifferent to the word, and you, know, you can take it or leave it, it's not a big part of your life, indifference. It could be a mark that you don't really have a relationship with Christ that you thought you had. So what does it actually look like to have the word of God dwell in our hearts practically? Here's what it looks like. Just four simple things. We, we hear the word. That's one way in which we allow the word of God to dwell in our hearts. We hear it. Matthew 13. As wrote was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed will bear fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, some a, a, a thirty. This is the idea that you hear it. And this is what you're doing right now. By you being here today, you are allowing the word of God to dwell in your heart richly because you're taking time to hear it. And then the next thing is to handle it. This is how you allow God's word to dwell in your heart. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. What does it mean to handle it? It means to study it. It means that you're not just doing a surface reading of scripture. That you've you got your highlighter out. You're underlining. You're cross-referencing. You're studying it. You're hearing it. You're hearing it taught on Sundays. You're hearing it taught in your headphones through podcasts and messages that you're listening to. But, then you're, but you're also going to God's Word and you're studying it. You're reading commentaries. You're going deeper. You're hearing it. You're handling it. And as you do that, it begins to dwell in you deeply. And then as a result, you hide it. You hear it. You handle it. You hide it. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that it might not sin against you. We hide God's word in our heart. We bury it deep in there to where when the enemy comes and tempts, God's word is dwelling richly in us and gives us the ability to fight against the lies of the enemy. You hear it, you handle it, you hide it. And lastly, you hold it fast. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Did you hear that? Crooked and twisted. When Paul describes this world as crooked and twisted, what does he mean? He means that this world cannot, does not understand truth. Everything is crooked and twisted. The definition of marriage is twisted. The definition of what it means uh, to, 
to, for, for right and wrong is twisted. It's crooked. We live in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation that does not believe in absolute truth, much less biblical truth. So in the midst of that type of culture, what do we do? Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You hold it fast. You're never going to allow the word of God to dwell richly in your heart unless you hold fast. You cling to it. If you don't believe this, that your life depends on the truth of scripture, you won't hold it fast. You won't hear it. You won't handle it. You won't hide it. You won't hold it fast. But the new creation life is a life of a Christian that allows the word of God to dwell richly in our life. Now, what does the word of God do? If, if, if we let it dwell richly and we hear it, we, we, we hear it, we handle it, we study it, we hide it, we hold it fast. What does it do? It sets the direction of our life. It sets the trajectory of our life. And, and you, you know that, don't you? you? You've experienced that in your life or you have gone around in your life. And because the word of God has been in your life, then the Holy Spirit guides you through his word and you make decisions that please him. I was in the subdivision. I do this often in my subdivision. My father-in-law lives about four streets over from us. And uh, his street is not necessarily a part of our subdivision, but it connects to our subdivision. And so sometimes when we're either going to his house or we're coming back from his house, I'll put my kids, either Reagan or Lincoln, on my lap. And so I'll put Lincoln on my lap, and I just did this recently with Lincoln. And, and, and so he's on my lap, and Lincoln grabs a hold of that wheel, and he's just doing this. And so sometimes I won't, I'll let go of the wheel and I'll let the car do this so he can see what happens. So he's doing this and the car is going back and forth and Estelle's screaming and Joel and Ellie are like, Daddy, stop it. We're going to hit something. And he's just doing this and having a good old time. But what I do is every now and then I, I grab the wheel and I just I steady it. I'm not going to let him hit the car. I'm not going to let him hit the garbage can. I'm not going to let him run into my neighbor's house. And this is what the picture of the word of God does in our life. When we allow it to dwell richly in us, it is the anchor point of our life. It is what holds on to us when we want to go this direction. The word of God, and it's not the right direction. The word of God reminds us of biblical principles that anchor us and say, no, this is not wise. This is not the direction you should go in. And it brings the wheel back to center. That's why we need the word to dwell in us richly. Because we're a lot like Lincoln. We are a lot like Lincoln. We, we like to do this. We, 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 this is our tendency, but we need that hand, that steadying hand on the wheel. And that steadying hand on the wheel is the word of God. One commentary puts it like this. The word in the heart and, and the mind is the handle by which the spirit turns the will. Now, I use the word wheel like on a car. This commentator says it turns the will, which is our desires which is what we choose to make decisions with in our life. The word in the heart and in the mind is what the Spirit will use to turn our desires. Some of you think, well, I don't desire to do what I want to do, and I'm struggling in this area. Go to the word. You want the Spirit to be able to help you and to make good decisions? Go to the word. Let the word dwell in you richly. You won't obey God if if you don't put his truths in front of your eyes. You will struggle to obey the Lord if you're not consistently putting the standard of truth in front of you. Psalm 119 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. 
I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules like Lincoln trying to turn aside, right? For you have taught me. Do you hear that? That is so good. We don't turn aside to the right and left. Why? Because God's word has taught us. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. How are you going to hate every false way in your life? If you get understanding through his precepts. How will you hate everything that God disapproves of? If you get his precepts in your mind and in your heart. The word of God must be at home in our hearts. The word must not simply be a passing visitor in our life. When we occasionally open the door of our hearts to its truths. It must be at home in our heart. It must sit with us at the dinner table. In our bed as we lay awake at night. And we're having to process the craziness of this life. We must have the word of God that speaks truth to our life every day. At a dinner table, in our bed, in our conversations, and in our meditations, the Word of God must be a permanent fixture at home in our heart. It must be that family member that will always speak truth and bring hope and healing. You know, do you have a favorite seat in your living room that's yours? I I, I bought one recently. I bought it. It's my chair so that I can sit after Sundays and watch golf. And when I sit in that chair, I prop my legs up and it's like, I'm at home. This is my spot. That's the same picture we must have with God's word. God, when I hear it, I'm at home. And the direction of my life has changed forever. Amen? Secondly, and this second reality here from Colossians 3 actually is a result of that type of connection with God's word. As God's word dwells in us richly, extravagantly, it's at home in our hearts in in an extravagant way. What that does is, is secondly, the word of God is what will strengthen the church. The word of God is what strengthens his church. Look back at the text. Colossians 3. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. And it says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word of God in the life of the church, which we are the church, individually and corporately, the word of God in the life of the church is what strengthens and empowers believers to grow in their faith. It's what, it's what builds our church. It's what helps us to grow. When we allow it to dwell in us richly, it is what God uses to strengthen his church. And if you notice, it says, teaching and admonishing one another. Those two words, one another. There's 59 times in the New Testament where there are one another commands, where we are called to do something to one another, right? So here's some examples. Serve one another in love, Galatians 5. Encourage one another and build each other up, 1 Thessalonians 5. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself, Romans 12. So these one another's are what we do in the body of Christ. As we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, then then that is what God uses through the preaching of his word, but also through your relationship with one another to strengthen his church. But you know what happens sometimes? And what we've been forced into recently during this time is that we, we, we have isolation. Even before COVID, we had the same tendency. Right now, everything is through the filter of COVID. And so we have been forced to isolate for our, our safety. But Previously, we, were still, we still struggled with isolation. But we are called 
to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to love one another. But what we do is, is that we like to live on private islands. Would you like to have a private island for yourself? Wouldn't that be nice right now? Wouldn't it be nice? Just go over to a private island. I told Estelle, I wish somebody would put me in a time capsule for about a year, and you know, like they do in the space movies, and then you wake up, you're in cryo sleep or something like that. I'm not sure what you call that. It's make-believe, but, but then, you, then you wake up. Let me just wake up in 2022, and then we'll be good to go. But you, I can't do that, right? That's not real life. But we like to do that. I got a picture of an island. Somebody actually was trying to get away from COVID. This is an island off the coast of Ireland. And somebody bought it for $6.2 million. Wouldn't that be nice? It's fully functional. It's got its own electrical grid. Its own plumbing system for its own little city. They got seven houses on it. You got the main house. I saw the pictures of the main house. It's stunning. And the person that bought it, we don't know who bought it, but the person that bought it, bought it without even going on it. Just did a video tour and bought it for, for $6.2 million. But this is, to me, when, when I read that, I was like, this is such a reflection of who we are naturally. That's what we want to do. We just, and for them, this is how they're going to stay safe. You know what would be interesting is that, you know, this virus is so contagious, they'll probably end up carrying it to that, to, to, to that private island, trying to get away. But that's our tendency. But we are called to not live on an island off the coast of Ireland. We're called to do life together. We're called, listen to Galatians 6. How can you do Galatians 6 if you're on an island off the coast of Ireland? Listen to Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. How can we restore somebody who's fallen into sin if we're on an island off the coast of Ireland? We can't do that. We have to restore people in the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What burdens do you have this morning? Are you bearing burdens this morning? Well, I'm called to help you bear your burdens. And you're called to help to bear each other's burdens. And when we bear one, another, when we bear one another's burdens and we fulfill the one another's in Scripture, then we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor above yourself. As much as you love yourself, above yourself. We fulfill the law of Christ. But we can't do that if we're on an island, if we're isolated. The word of God at home in our hearts will be used by God to teach and to admonish each other. And it will strengthen and build his church. And Pastor Mark Dever says this about God's word. God's word has always been his chosen instrument to convict, to convert, and to conform his people. God's word has always been his chosen instrument. Look what Isaiah 55 says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, God says, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. God's word will do its work. That's why God's word is primary in Living Word Church, because it is what God uses to shape us, to conform us, to convict us, to shape us into the image of Christ. That's why we teach it. That's why I teach the Bible. You don't need another person to give you an opinion about life. There's too many of those out there right now. You need to hear God's word taught. The point of every message that is preached from this pulpit must be the point of the passage. The point of the message has to be the point of the passage. We preach the word. We preach scripture. And what the point of the passage is, is what I bring to you every morning. 
on Sundays. We need the word. Listen to Paul's command to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, until I come, devote yourself, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. That's what we do. We read the Scripture, we explain the Scripture, we teach it, and then we exhort it, which means to apply it to your life. You read it, you teach it, you explain it, and you exhort with it. This is what God uses to strengthen His church. The Word of God is what strengthens His church. As it dwells richly in us, we teach it and admonish one another. And this, this commitment that, that we have at Living Word Church to make the Word of God the center of what we do and to inform all that we do is really, it informs our discipleship pathway. And if you are new here, you may not know what our discipleship pathway is, but there's some signs by the exits there, these banners that we have up that really can show you. You can see it on our website. But here's our discipleship pathway. It simply is this, walking through the Word in our Sunday gatherings. That's what we do. We walk through the word. We put God's word at the center point. Finding community in monthly life groups. That as the word of Christ dwells richly in us, that we long to be in a relationship with one another so that this word that dwells in us richly can encourage each other, can teach each other, can admonish each other. Then making disciples in weekly D groups. We have discipleship groups. And a D group is a, is a, is a small group, uh, gender specific, men with men, women with women, where we study God's word in a smaller setting and we grow in our faith and our love for God and his word. And then lastly, impacting the world through missions, outreach, and serving. God's word is what motivates us to go, to serve, to go around the world and to preach the gospel and to support those that do it. God uses his word to strengthen his church. And if we're ever going to do that, the word of God must not simply be a passing visitor in our life. And we must teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And lastly, the last thing that we see here this morning, the last thing we see here in this morning in the text is that as a result of that, as a result of God's word dwelling in us, thirdly, the word of God flows from our lips as songs of worship. Look back at the text, Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I want to tell you right now, we need songs of thanksgiving. Do you believe that? We need songs of thanksgiving. I put a song out on Facebook. I encourage you to go listen to it. It was sung by Jason Upton. It's called Watching Over Me. I encourage you to go listen to that. It's a song that reminds us that God's watching over us. He's watching over us. We need the word of God to dwell in us richly so that we can sing songs of his mercy, songs of his faithfulness, songs of his goodness. What are you singing? What are you listening to? What's motivating your songs? What's motivating your words? What's coming out of your mouth? We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. It's a battle that we're in right now. It's a battle for our focus. It's a battle for to hang on to our hope. We need to sing our songs of faithfulness. We need it today. Songs of thanksgiving. We need to sing songs of hope and peace. Gospel-centered songs. Songs that point us to Christ. Songs that remind us of who He is and what He has done. Notice how the singing flows out from the Word. May we never sing songs that aren't based on God's Word. Worship through singing is directly connected with our understanding of God's word. When we understand God's word, that's actually the only way that you can truly worship. 
You can't worship a God you don't know. You can sing songs and sing words that talk about Christ and talk about God. But if you don't know him, it's not worship. It's just words hitting, hitting the ceiling. Oh, but when you know of the mercy of God and when you know of his forgiveness, when you know what you used to be and what he's done in your life and, and you understand what scripture has spoken to your heart and how it's changed your heart, when you sing those songs, those songs go up as worship to God. Deep understanding of God produces deep worship. Shallow understanding, and you don't, well, I don't care about doctrine, I don't care about theology, I don't care about God's word, I'm indifferent. Shallow understanding, you cannot worship accurately and deeply. True worship comes from an understanding of God's word. We sing praises to God based upon how he has revealed himself to us through his word and through what he has done in our life. And this all connects back to the word of God dwelling richly in our life. You know what's also beautiful? Is that when we gather together and we sing those songs that flow out of our understanding of God from his word, we encourage one another when we sing. Did I encourage you a few weeks back when I croaked out a song in Christ alone? Did you laugh at me more than where you were encouraged? I went back. And you know what I should have done? I should have muted my mic because I listened to the, the, the audio of it later. And all you could hear was me. We couldn't hear your beautiful voices. You just heard me. Um, it was terrible. But you know what's beautiful? is that whenever we sing those songs, and I hear you singing about Christ and his goodness, and, I, and you hear me, and we encourage one another, and it all comes back to God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs to one another. It encourages the body. He, see, he says here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What, what does that mean? Psalms, it's the word of God put to song. It's literally singing God's word. Psalms is the word of God put to song. People do that all the time. Hymns. What are hymns? Singing psalms, hymns. Hymns are songs of worship sung by the church. The church writes hymns. Hymns are sung by the church and they exalt Christ. Spiritual songs. What are spiritual songs? It's personal songs of worship where you are telling of God's goodness and grace. Do you have a spiritual song today? What's your spiritual song? I did a funeral on Wednesday, for Mr. for Mr. Dudley Talbot Sr. Mr. Dudley, he passed away last week, and he was 95 years old. He has been a member of this church since the 1980s. And Mr. Dudley, I didn't really know him very well. When I would sit over here where Clyde and Teresa are, before I became pastor, I would sit right there, and Mr. Dudley would sit in the second row behind me there. And I didn't know how old he was, and one day somebody came and told me, do you know that Mr. Dudley comes from the nursing home? They go pick him up, bring him here. He comes here every Sunday. And you know he's in his 90s. And I was amazed at Mr. Dudley. I thought, how amazing is that? And I really didn't get to know him very, very well, but I learned a lot about him during his funeral. So I, I had to, to preach the funeral, but I was still in quarantine then on Wednesday. And a part of a funeral service, a lot of times family members will come and they'll share good memories about the person, their lost loved one, and stories. And I experienced this with him and went there and did that, and I'm going to miss him or her. And so that's what I expected to hear whenever the family members came up. But they had four grandchildren that came up to share and to speak about their grandfather. And one after the other, the first one came up, and they all read Scripture. first one read Psalm 91. First one read Psalm, the next one, Psalm 23, then Romans chapter 8, and then I forget the fourth one, but they read Scripture. 
And I thought, how amazing is that, that this is what they are saying is a reflection of their grandfather. You know what that really told me? That their grandfather, Mr. Dudley Talbot Sr., allowed the word of God to dwell richly in them. And the only thing that they could come and say, they could have shared many stories about their grandfather and good memories and things that he's done with them and for them in their life. But what did they come and share? They came and read the word of God. And they thought that that was the way that would reflect him and honor his life. And when I read the obituary about Mr. Dudley, there's a statement that they wrote about him. And this is so cool. They said that the thing that will be remembered most about Mr. Dudley was his singing and his whistling. I don't think I've ever heard that from somebody when they die. They can be known for their singing and their whistling. And when I thought about this message in my preparation, I thought, here's a man. They wanted to talk about his life and his memory. They talked about scripture. That's what reflected his life. He loved his Lord. So I believe that Mr. Dudley, when he sung and he whistled, that was his spiritual song. Because the word of Christ dwelled richly in his life. It, was, it permeated his life and is what people knew of him. And, 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 and what came out of him was a whistle and a song. And that's what I'm talking about. I want to be like Mr. Dudley. I know I don't sing well, but I'm going to sing. I can whistle and I'm going to whistle. It's going to be a spiritual song that comes out of my life. This is the new creation life. A life that is marked by the word of God. The word of God is at home in our hearts. It is what people know about us. It's not relegated to occasional visits. It is, it is like a seat that is saved in the living room of our heart. Is that God's word in your life? It must be. This is the new creation life. We live to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ, to strengthen each other through singing, singing and whistling, through our spiritual songs, through our admonishing and our encouraging and our teaching. This is the new creation life. It's the overflow of the word of God dwelling richly in us. And you know what all of that is for? It's for verse 17. Look back at the text as we conclude. Verse 17, Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and whatever you do in word or deed. Your whistle, your singing, your working, your living, your marriage, your relationship to your kids, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do is for the glory of Christ. It's for the name of Christ. There's a famous theologian that just died on Friday. His name was J.I. Packer. And he wrote a book called Knowing God. I would encourage you to read that book, Knowing God. It's a classic book on God and it gives you a high view of God. So many people today have a low view of God. That God's off in some distant corner and, and we're left to ourselves. And here they have a low view of God. We need a high view of God today. So I encourage you to go buy the book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Well, he died on Friday. He was 93 years old. He wrote over 160 books on doctrine and theology. He was one of the, considered one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Well, before he died, he developed macular degeneration, which robs you of your, of your eyesight. So he was forced to retire from public ministry at the age of 89, which is in 2016. And so a Christian website magazine wanted to do an interview with J.I. Packer and ask him about his life and what did he want to say, what did he want to be known for. And so J.I. Packer, in the interview, he said this, 
He said, I think I can boil down my last message to the church. He said, I have final words for the church. Final words. I think I can boil down my final words to the church into four words. Four words. Glorify Christ every way. Glorify Christ every way. That's it. That's the point. Why do we allow the word of God to dwell in us richly? So that we can glorify Christ every way. Why do we allow the word of God to dwell in us richly? So that we can teach and admonish one another so that Christ can be glorified in every way. Why do we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? So that we can teach and admonish everyone. And that will glorify Christ. And so that because of the overflow of that work in our heart through his word, we're singing and whistling and singing songs to the glory of Christ. Glorify Christ in every way. That's the point. That's why we live. That's why we place his word at the center of our life. That is what it means to be a Christian. Amen? Amen. Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, Lord. Glorify Christ every way. God, I pray that that's what we would do. That we would glorify Christ every way. Every way. In our life. In our marriage. On our jobs. In our relationship with one another. God, and I know that the only way that we will glorify you in every way is if we know your word and we know what you desire. To glorify Christ is to know what you desire and to fulfill those desires. By living in ways that please you. God, I pray that that would be true of our life. We want to glorify Christ in every way. God, I pray for your people here today. I pray that they would run to the anchor of your truth in the midst of turbulent times. Run to the steadying anchor of your word. That we would be known as people. Known as people who allow the word to dwell richly. Known as people who whistle and sing like Mr. Dudley Talbot. Sing of your word. Sing of your truth. Let us be marked by those things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I will see you next week.